0: Keats Ross. This is the Prag Magic weekly liminal stream. Um, thank you for joining us. Sorry, we're a little bit late. Of course, there's always technical difficulties when it comes with this nonsense. If you can hear us fine, say so. If you cannot, please also say so. Um, and without further ado, I'll just jump right into it. Um, I'd like to invite a brilliant, trans-dimensional wayfaring illustrator of wayward books and graphics to discuss the confluence between occult practice and funny books, or as they're commonly known, comic books. Eric J. Millar is the creator of such things as The Disruption Generator, a sort of anti-tarot and anarchic bibliomantic oracle, as well as creator of a multitude, and I mean multitude, of outsider graphic novels and illustrations. He is currently creating a new 400 plus component oracle entitled The Bottomless Bag, which he premieres every Monday on wethehallowed.org. And speaking of wethehallowed, Millar has become the de facto illustrative soothsayer of our international magical media collective, straight from his car. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric J. Millar. Hello, hello.
1: how you doing i'm doing good doing good it's not too cold out yet so i can comfortably sit in the back seat of my car
0: i love it <laughs> that's that kind of punk rock spirit you know i enjoy yeah. and also probably hey, the most it's... peace you've had in a while i'm sure
1: yeah yeah it is the quietest <laughs> place i can go and not pay it, for it
0: you know if if the acoustics <laughs> were good in a car i'd record in there but, you know, I come from the in the bathtub in a shitty apartment on a four track. So work with what you got. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now my choices were
1: this or the bathroom and the bathroom. There might have been a three year old knocking on the door and coming in and joining us,
0: which would be so. appropriate, because, you know, I think <laughs> the discussion we're going to have tonight uh, certainly gripped me around that age. I think funny books, as oh, I yeah. said in the intro, were you know, my really my uh, intro to most creative outlooks and metaphysical knowings you know uh, as a kid Um, i did want to say a couple of things before we start just to kind of give a little idea of what this conversation is going to entail um the comics or the confluence of comics and the occult is one that is often celebrated uh, with many accolades given to two historic mages, as Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. And they are rightfully considered touchstones of that river bend. But while such works as Promethea and the Invisibles, which we will talk about, uh, and they can't be understated as luminous works, I hope that Eric and I reveal some lesser known works and tethers within the comic and occult worlds. We come at this confluence as both creators and practitioners not scholars so back off so we hope to delve deeply into the (laughs) static other that is communed with to create such works and with that i just wanted to dive straight ahead and talk about when what came first the comic or the magic
1: uh the comic definitely the comic for me like i mean i was getting comic books and stuff like that when i was five years old probably and i started drawing them shortly after so right. it kind of <laughs> it's 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 definitely that before the magic
0: but uh all right so um it, uh, yeah i want to thank everyone in the chat too they say eric if you could uh just keep the mic a little bit further away but i think further ends, away yeah perfect that all works. right there we go everyone's a critic here at the prague magic liminal <laughs> Stream. no I, I want to i want to thank everyone who's tuned in with us tonight i couldn't have asked for a better cohort and kind of diving deep into this confluence uh than eric millar like i said in the intro you know i don't you've probably been doodling and drawing uh longer than i've been alive most likely
1: probably yeah probably
0: cause um, you said you started like at what you at your son's age, you think,
1: uh, probably a little bit after I mean, I basically as soon as I could put a pen in my hand or a marker in my hand, I was probably holding one, so yeah, and kinda... I started telling stories with it when I was probably five 'cause i would I would tell my mom stories and she'd type them out for me, and I'd draw little illustrations for'. Them.
0: I so, love it, comics yeah. Game. That's how i felt about writing you know that's that's kind of my first foray into narrative structure and uh you you know mythological folkloric ideas was through comic books you know we can sit here all day and talk about you know the ones that really gripped us and stuff but i really wanted to have the touchstones that were kind of further or deeper than say the invisibles or promethea or you know books of magic or You know oh yeah sandman or you know and talk about some of the lesser known lesser celebrated people that you know we revere so much and i think one of them that we talk about all the time is peter milligan oh definitely so what was your like first foray into peter milligan's work
1: yeah the first time i knew who peter milligan was was shade the changing man Mm -hmm. i bought a bunch of like i bought a box of random vertigo comics from my comic book store and half of it was like 90 percent of peter milligan's run on shade the changing man
0: i love and, it from the planet meta <laughs>
1: Yeah, blew my mind and it was it's even more mind-blowing when you look back at where it came from because like even like steve Ditko, like mm-hmm. super trippy shit but milligan took it somewhere else completely and then after that i kind of tried my best to keep up with his career but that guy was prolific is
0: you know it's funny too because he was considered part of that british invasion you know with alan moore grant morrison and even jamie delano who oh yeah you know i'm sure we'll talk about because jamie delano is a big part of my foray into occult and comics but like for some reason kind of slipped under the radar and i think it's because he's not as outlandish a character as say alan moore or grant morrison is you know there's there's this like hyper sigil idea, right, where you know Grant Morrison, Alan Moore are kind of living in this dreamscape, and their the art is mimicking life, and vice you know versa. But Peter Milligan's always taken this kind of very back end approach to his writing, where he kind of lets them work itself out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think like Milligan's stuff has really benefited from having great artists work on it more than his writing. Then like, because even in his early days, he had Brendan McCarthy. Right. And that stuff is probably the trippiest Milligan stuff you can find is the stuff he did way, way back in the seventies and eighties with uh, Brendan McCarthy.
0: Yeah. But you know, back to shade, that was a big one. You know, I think people like to argue all the time and this is a dumb argument. We will never have this argument because it (laughs) means that you don't like comics. If you have this argument. This whole DC versus Marvel bullshit. But DC should get some credence for Vertigo and the Vertigo imprint oh. and allowing all of this to exist, you know?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Sure. They were, they were,
1: yeah, they were really the first people that tried to have an adult imprint in mainstream comics.
0: I mean, and yeah, Karen Berger, you know? Yeah. She, she as an editor was, you know, I just think a totally unsung hero of this entire confluence of what we're talking about occult and and oh definitely definitely
1: There, there's
0: a um there's there was an academic paper that came out in 2015 by kenneth granholm um and this is his thesis was talking about superheroes and comic books within you know the occult world or occult nick ideas and you know in his intro he put it very i think succinctly he says studies of religion and popular culture are increasing in number <laughs> but it is still fairly uncommon to find treatments of comic books in general introductions and co- collected volumes this is a shame as comic books are perhaps the popular cult the popular cultural products where the occult is most prominent as well as one of the few remaining popular culture arenas where creators are still relatively free to experiment with unorthodox subject matter. Both of the above mentioned are likely due to comic books being viewed as an unworthy pursuit, mirroring the sentiments directed towards the occult itself for centuries, even when compared to areas such as heavy metal or science fiction TV shows starting to be recognized as valid subjects of study. So there's there's always been a torch you know, shared marathon. I think when it comes to occult studies and these, this uh, outsiderdom of of comic books. And, oh, and, definitely. And the love of comic books, you know. Definitely, we, definitely. I, mean, I was going to say. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, go you go ahead, go
0: ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, we we could go through part of part of what I thought, you know, it would be so uninteresting is that we kind of went through the lineage right we talked about the golden age you know the silver age bronze age we talked about the the many eras of comic books but the fascinating thing that i think about all the time is like you know in the silver age when science started to take a back seat that superpowers weren't so much uh science based the flash getting his you know uh, super speed with electric, uh, a lightning bolt and chemicals or you know what I mean like it, it wasn't yeah. so kind of uh, pseudo-scientific that that's when they started getting into the weird and the oh yeah thing. and it was like Ditko uh, you know with Dr. Strange uh, who you know <laughs> I've heard he's a really he was a really straight-laced person that he probably had never taken acid in his life which is just astounding to me because like oh, Doctor yeah. Doctor Strange, you know, back in the day, they even called it the Black Arts. That Doctor Strange was a master of the Black Arts and stuff. But it was this new kind of it was along that same uh, Renaissance, right? The, like this the the sixty seventies kind of New Age spiritual movement and stuff, and how the mystique of the occult and everything kind of funneled into comic books as as probable you know, bases for for superpowers, for superheroes.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was... uh... Yeah, Dicko, I think him and Jack Kirby both kind of spearheaded that movement of bringing, like, spirituality and spiritualism into it. Because even, even like, Kirby had a a title that was, I can't remember what it was called, like, it was called Beyond or something like that, where he, he explored spiritualism. He explored, like, poltergeist activity, like altered stuff. And then like from that point forward, they kind of allowed the Woo to uh give powers to people over, you know, radioactive spiders.
0: The Woo to Wonder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were gonna talk too, I had mentioned like God. I I always want to talk about Green Lantern. I think he's like one of the the last people you think of, or at least, you know, the last comic you think of, even though Grant Morrison's now writing the new green lantern run but yeah. to me green lantern was the perfect it was like perfectly analogous to magic right conforming reality with someone's will and yeah like, what better superpower i'm sure for an illustrator such as yourself or for anyone with a creative imagination than being able to create constructs out of light you know hard constructs. oh oh yeah of and I was thinking earlier that like it's funny too because the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott, was a magic-based. Um,
1: yeah, he had a magic lantern.
0: Like was it wasn't it
1: lantern. wasn't a wasn't a lantern from another planet, it was a magical railway lantern. And like right. you can't think of a more magical weakness than wood.
0: Right, wood. His, his yeah. weakness
1: was wood.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's like It writes itself, but you know, and they try to get away from it and they try to kind of bring it back to this understanding of science fiction and stuff with the Green Lantern Corps being, you know, the space police sector, Two Three Two Six Eight Four, whatever, you know, that it's this universal space police that, you know, get their, you know, constructs of this, the power of will is this green color that's magnified by Oa, which is this planet it seemed to try to go uh, in a scientific roundabout or a sci-fi roundabout, but still couldn't quite skirt, you know, the magical, like, origins of of the Green Lantern idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any way that the, the idea of Green Lantern could totally get away from magic. It, it's just, it, it seems impossible. I mean, you could go with the whole Asimov quote where, uh, you know, Technology gone far enough is, is, you know, unrecognizable from magic. Like it's the same thing. Right. But that's not really what they were trying for with the with OA and all of that stuff. I mean it's it's gotta be magic.
0: And yeah, there's this like unspoken kind of uh obvious tether when it comes with magic, when it comes to, you know, consorting with the other, quote unquote. This idea of something outside of our reality constructs our time and frequencies and vibrations, you know. And of course, I think in the '70s uh, there was a huge push towards science fiction. That oh, it's is, you know, it's it's you it's, it's a cosmic thing, right? Like, yeah. Even though Fantastic Four was ahead of their time with the cosmic yeah. rays and whatnot, <laughs> but, but like there there's still something that they were trying to shelf. It's almost that it got too woo for a time in comics. You know, yeah. and also there was this there was this obvious pushback with the Comics Code Authority stuff coming out, you know, uh and early on to to get it to be more of a kind of I, I hate to say Bible thumping, but you know what I mean? Like Well it, I mean to, when you get
1: to a comics code, it's very Bible thumping. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but then when they you know the the rebellious attitude towards that with like you know werewolf by night and tomb of dracula and you know a lot of the 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 creepy scary stories things later on they were trying oh, yeah. that was the rock and roll right the rock and roll was kind of the, this occult exploration within comic books
1: yeah that was when the hippies took over and right. it i think it hit it hit marvel way harder than it hit dc That's because pretty- marvel had like Jim Starlin at that time was into Carlos Castaneda and all of that stuff. Like they were, they were very much hippies. Like uh, uh, Steve Gerber was, was really into the occult at the time when he created like man thing and Howard, the duck,
0: Uh, Howard, the duck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially. Yeah. There you go. To me, when I pray to an altar, it's Howard, the duck. Oh yeah. uh, That's, that's front and center. You know, but mainly it's just a VHS copy of the uh, George Lucas produced first ever Marvel film, Howard the Duck. Yeah, the
1: best movie ever made.
0: It's my lord and savior. <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, and, you know, without getting too much into just, uh, you know, a lot of the tit for tat, what company did this or who did this and this yeah. and that, you know, I just I, I wanted to shed a little light about there was an escape from it, you know, uh, it was embraced. Then it was kind of pushed to the side and then here come the British invasion, you know, uh, uh, in the eighties and the vertigo imprint. And it's still pumping to this day. A lot of what adults, you know, consider actual literature are based on the comics made of that time. And, One of the comics, I feel like it's undersung probably right before he was about to break big, you know, in that way, uh, was Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Oh, yeah. Him taking a kind of like using diegesis to put himself within the comic, you know, to to have uh, Animal Man, you know, meet Grant Morrison the writer of the comic was, to me, that was like the biggest revolutionary way of kind of minimizing the universe while still making it vastly huge. Like everything was off limits after that.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And I can actually say there is like, like Graham Morrison's Animal Man run, like blew my mind so hard that I made a book because of it.
0: Like- Was this Coyote Dreaming? Yes, Coyote yeah. Dreaming was
1: directly inspired by the Wily Coyote issue of Animal Man, where Wily Coyote comes to the real world and deals with just like an infinite world of pain. Because he's still a cartoon character. And he gets run over by a truck and he feels it. And he feels coming back to life. And it's just this horrible, painful thing, and nobody understands it.
0: Well, that's like I was I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, that's what Coyote Dreaming is. Yeah, that's that you know castaneda you know trip you know in into the desert but it's the yeah it's the coyote kind of reaching singularity <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well yeah to me that was huge you know that run in and it of itself like i said showing that you know the the forms of narrative are off you know they're, they're there's no rules there's no rhyme there's no reason that doesn't need yeah. to be You know, and in such a two dimensional art space where you're a panel driven kind of narrative to kind of break those confines. I hate to use the term, you know, breaking the fourth (laughs) wall, because I think a lot of comics heads will think about Deadpool. And it's like, no, I'm not fucking talking about Deadpool. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's (laughs) not about talking to the audience. It's about talking
1: about the world and breaking their fourth wall.
0: Well, and to me, that was like the perfect seed of, you know, Grant Morrison's whole hypersidual idea. Mm-hmm. Kind of in, in putting them into the story, making a, a micro universe of, you know, the magician's realm. And yeah. And, and, you know, we can talk all day about the invisibles and what he went on to do with that. And, you know, a lot of the harrowing stories that he himself as a writer, you know, kind of discovered, you know, there's that famous anecdote with him giving King Mob a, you know, a, a bacterial infection. in yeah, his and then face, he... And then Grant Morrison ends up mm-hmm. having a bacterial infection in his face. And so, you know, from then on, like King Mob is just a really cool, you know, doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't go through anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: He, he's pretty normal beyond there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no go ahead i I think his trial run with that was actually the end of his doom patrol run Mm. because at the the way the series ends it ends in this utopian world run by danny the street like the sentient street becomes the world where everybody's protected and everybody's happy and nobody has to worry about anything and it's almost like like he was trying to will that utopia into existence and then he figured out he couldn't. So we kind of dialed it back and made the invisibles.
0: <laughs> right. Uh there is a lot of like interference from your mic. Do you think that's <laughs> just a web connection or it might just be a web
1: connection? Is it a lot of crackling?
0: Yeah, it's like it's like uh it's like digital detritus. Hmm. <laughs> i mean it sounds cool but yeah yeah i don't know how to fix that
1: i'm on a crappy connection so yeah no worries
0: uh didn't want to hijack the flow because like yeah what we were talking about earlier like what i really wanted to talk to you about especially as a creator of comics you know (laughs) we find a lot of these tethers to me, it's like a lot of hindsight, like stuff that I read as a kid that I'll later find out like, holy shit, that was, you know, that was a magical working or, you know, all of this like really informed my, you know, my magic, you know, my anarchic style of magic or, you know, audiomancy or whatever. Like when did you start messing with those confines as, as a creator?
1: As a creator, I I actually came to that kind of thing pretty late, to be honest. Like it was probably about a decade ago at this point, where I was trying anything like other than really normal stuff. And like the first couple times I tried it, it was more of like a, like experimenting with cut ups and things like that. Like it was just kind of like edging on magic and not quite actually magic. And then, I mean. I would say that it was, it became magic much closer to now, like within the last five years.
0: Well, let's, but. yeah, let's talk about that. And like, maybe we should kind of define what we mean by magic. So when you say when it became magic, what do you mean? It was a more
1: willful, It. it I was trying harder to take control of the things that were coming out of me i don't know right i don't know it's uh it became more of a willful thing like it has they have intention they don't they they aren't just being made to be made they have intention
0: yeah no i so. agree uh it's funny because i remember uh you know Saul, on twitter had had mm-hmm. made some tweet where he's like if i hear anyone talk about hyper sigils and talk about fucking incredible or invisibles again you know i was laughing because i had just done you know that podcast with doug about sigils and you know yeah. i didn't really it wasn't very erudite about you know what i meant about making that last album a hyper sigil you know and i guess what it came down to was like yeah i was kind of i was i was creating a story to live out Like Yeah, I I was creating, you know, annals of time uh, within a micro universe to mirror what I'd hope future my future self would, you know, traverse, but I was also very, like, like weary of, you know, lollipops and rainbows like I knew it would, if I could at least kind of construct the tribulations. (laughs) Like. It would I could still have tribulations, they wouldn't just be as surprising or as, as rough, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like
1: trying to map it out before you've seen the land in yeah, a way.
0: Exactly. Yeah, if like I think and I think that's what it comes down to, you know, when you know, we're talking about well and then you know, the adverse to that is like the Alan Moore thing where it's like, fuck it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you know, those two wizards have been feuding forever. But uh <laughs> You know, well, I mean, unless
1: I, you ask them, they're 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 just kind of like meh. Oh yeah, Call it a feud, but you know, I think it's like innocent.
0: the most passive aggressive feud <laughs> like, in the history of comics. People love to write about it too. I'm like, who gives a fuck? Two old successful men, like yeah, and I
1: like, I think they just ignore each other. Yeah, I don't think it's a feud. I think it's just apathy,
0: <laughs> which is like far more baneful. Yeah, exactly, that's way more powerful (laughs) Well, you know, you wanted to I thought we could dive into some Kind of Under the radar Pieces and talk about them You know, like I said In the intro, like we could Have an entirely different stream Just talking about the Invisibles Or how great Graham Morrison Or great Alan Moore is You know what I mean, Neil Gaiman Like yeah. yeah, everybody's heard that a everybody's million heard times. That. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's all anybody talk talks some, about. Give me some weird ones and what they're about. All right, I'll
1: uh, I'll, I'll go back to the uh, the Peter Milligan from earlier. I'll talk about one of his uh, earlier um, collaborations with Brendan McCarthy called uh, Rogan Gosh, where he's it's an exploration of like Indian Eastern uh just trippy trippy religion and like i have never seen such a trippy exploration of indian mysticism in my life like the paintings that brendan mccarthy does are just absolutely breathtaking and amazing like there are they're impossible to describe yeah honestly and you can kind of see Peter Milligan just being off the leash with his writing. Like he's he's definitely exploring things that he wouldn't normally explore and not giving a shit.
0: Have you been privy to like the scripting at all? I wonder what that looks like.
1: Oh, I don't even know. I wish. Yeah. I wish. I bet it I bet it's amazing.
0: Cause I think we should talk about that, just like what you know, the the relationship between a comic book artist and a writer, and like the oh, many yeah. different variations of how the two, you know, commune. Like, oh yeah, you have someone yeah, and- as as thorough as like say Alan Moore. You know, Grant Morrison's pretty thorough too. Yeah, um, but then you can have people like writers, and what I'm gathering from like Milligan and what you're talking about is he'll just have some wishy-washy poetic shit, and goes, "Have at it."
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like one of the legendary like scripters that I know basically puts nothing into it is uh, uh Chuck Dixon. Oh, of He's, course. He, Chuck Dixon has a Bane. like, yeah, but he has like a four word <laughs> panel description and lets the artist go.
0: No, he, he doesn't care. He's get this Break Batman back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He can write a
1: hundred words and make just as much money. If he wrote ten thousand words.
0: Now, have you been privy to like, um, a, like a, a congregation of both kind of minds meeting in, in in a sort of third mind? You know, as William S. Burroughs would call it.
1: Uh, I mean, I I honestly think that Milligan and McCarthy probably had that. I love
0: because it because
1: their work together seems like something that's 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 trans. It transcends what yeah. i see in a lot of other collaborations
0: because that's like but. that's what i'm absolutely stoked to discover yeah there are just there are a couple pairings of writers and artists even some modern you know that can create an uber like only them two together could create oh definitely definitely and you know as I don't know, as, as someone who writes and as someone who illustrates, you know, I think that's like the hardest. It's like it's like winning a lottery almost, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. I yeah.
0: Mean, uh, we, we do well, great together, but we haven't really done like a narrative comic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like we, we
1: do little stuff here and there. But like I, I've i never worked with a collaborator that I jived, jived with that much.
0: Right. Yeah. Right? It's,
1: it always felt like a job. Like they, (laughs) they give you their words and it feels like a job.
0: Yeah. Do you do anything kind of, how do I put it? Is, are there any like transcendental states? Is there any liminal, you know, ritual work to, you know, create because you are, you're prolific. I imagine that it just kind of pours out of you whenever, wherever.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what it is now. Like I, I, get into the state, like with basically no work anymore. Mm-hmm. Like if I sit down, and I have a pen in my hand and paper in front of me, I'll make something.
0: So yeah, I mean, you just show up. That's, that's Yeah, important. that's
1: it. Yeah. Something will come out. And nine times out of 10, it'll be something I'm, I'm mostly okay with. But I mean, back before, probably about eight years ago, I used to have to do a lot of work to get into the space. Like, I would sit and I would try to kind of get into hypnagogic states, get into trance states. And sometimes I would sit there and wait for, like, an hour or two before an image would even come to me. And I could work with it. Now I can sit in front of a piece of paper and, like, 30 seconds later I got something. I just let my hand go.
0: Yeah, you know, I wonder if there's just too much pomp and circumstance a lot when it comes to using occultnik, you know, techniques to create. I do it with audiomancy or whatever but it becomes a thing it becomes the process becomes an art in and of itself and it's not really about what comes out you know yeah like it's the same you know with writing when i was working on that comic book with the band spare spells you know i would just write these outlines and it got to a point where i was kind of um inadvertently I didn't know it at the time, but I was kind of I was loosely writing a narrative about how the band would unravel, you know, or how the group would unravel. And it did, you know,
1: yeah. you, don't, you don't see like
0: <laughs> you don't see it on the paper. You don't have a comic book to to look at to see that because it's been lived, you know, like the, the ghost has already yeah. moved on kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know for me oh sorry go ahead
1: for me like my yeah for me my stuff is generally at this point it's like i just i'm bringing a lot of disparate pieces together and i don't know the shape of a thing until i'm done making the thing as and i'm letting the the art itself communicate with me
0: i'm interested like, to hear my last, have you, oh sorry oh no go go ahead go ahead well, I was just wondering if you would come across any, you know, comics that have felt like that, like popular comics. Uh, the- well, I
1: I wouldn't say that I like they would they popular comics.
0: I mean, yeah, but uh, uh, there was a, a gra- <laughs>
1: there's a uh, there's a graphic novel by a Canadian artist called Martin Von James called The Cage where it is it's it's a surrealist graphic novel where the images and the text don't go together at all at any point you can you can't figure out like the the it's not about a story because it's not a story it's just this this exploration of a ruinous wasteland and you see like weird twisted beds you see like rotted out walls and the work is trying to figure out what he's trying to say like there's there's something there and there's a message that you could tell that either he was getting or he's trying to send out and I can't decode it but it, it blows my mind because it's like it shows me that, that comics can be something bigger than what people see comics being more yeah. than any other work I've ever seen it's 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 a it's a spiritual experience reading that book it's it's you can feel the puzzle pieces kind of trying to slip together while you're reading it
0: i love it yeah that's you know that's kind of i think what hit me when i was young to bring it back to the animal animal man run you know that uh morphogenic genetic field or whatever that's in it yeah and in morrison talks about it you know it's like this this point um you know where all things kind of meet and like for yeah him to hit the point where it like it refracts at you or reflects to you that you're in the point you know it is very obviously that that you know hermetic idea of as above so below but in a narrative structure and as when it comes to writing when it comes to because scripting is so sequential, you know, like panels, yeah. sequential. Comic books can be absolutely sequential, and to have it rip around and like flick you in the butt, you know, and say, huh, and "Oh then yeah," and flip back, you know, <laughs> was like, you know, that meant the that meant the world to me. That that was that was a a, a revelatory moment for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I I felt a lot the same way with Alan Moore's Swamp Thing yes like revealing the green the and green meant,
0: like i yeah
1: maybe we just yeah, i mean i still think quick. that oh my god it's basic it's the consciousness of the world yeah. essentially or of the plant life of the world it's all the all the plant life comes together and they're they're all tethered together by this this i don't even know what you'd call it like a multi-dimensional area
0: so, fancy you bringing up the green. I have a quote, um, and it's it's uh, from that same academic paper, and he talks about Swamp Thing, and he says when Moore started writing the series in 1984, he made a dramatic revelation. We thought that Swamp Thing was Alec Holland, who originally was the you know scientist that had a chemical explosion, science explosion, and got merged with you know the swamp. The Swamp Thing, very golden age, you know? And he somehow transformed into a plant, but it wasn't. Alan Moore thought it was a plant that thought it was Alec Holland. The revelation was made in an equally dramatic fashion. Swamp Thing is shot and the doctor dissecting it finds it to his astonishment that its organs are nothing more than crude, non-functional approximations of human ones as you can kill a vegetable you can't kill a vegetable by shooting it through the head as Moore says the swamp thing revives exacts revenge and escapes going on to assume a role as protector of all plant life on earth being in contact with all plant life through the astral plane like the green and gaining new powers such as being able to travel vast distances near instantaneously simp or near <laughs> by being able to travel vast distances near instantaneously, simply by dissolving its body and regrowing it somewhere else. So I love, that's what I was talking about, that like reflection moment, where Uh and, and that movement from the golden age comics, you know, into this kind of silver and bronze age, where it ixnayed the idea that everything had to have some sort of pseudoscientific thing. And, you know, at The fault of using the word, it got meta, right? It was a plant yeah. that thought it was Alec Holland, and I love this idea that all of its innards were formed like fake, you know, uh, coffee table fruit, <laughs> you know, of organ. yeah, 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 that
1: it was amazing, yeah. It's
0: and the green, yeah, especially green for that time, this, this rhythm, this like this ancient hum. Of, of life, of, of the earth breathing and everything that's great. Yeah. And then we get into, and this is kind of, to me, a lot of the pagan ideologies and stuff that came, you know, within a lot of comics during the time. You know, I think it was Grant Morrison that brought up the red, which in Animal Man, yeah. uh, he went further with the red. And the red is, you know, all, it's the animalistic, it's the anima of life, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's the rot, you know, which is like the black and and the gray is like the fungus. And I, I love that. And there's, it, it has to be said though, in recent years, and this is true with the Green Lantern Corps, there's this real need to categorize things by color and emotion or color. Yeah. And, and to me, that's as exceptionally candle work. That's spell work. You
1: know. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: That's absolutely well, and, like, translatable.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And like when it when it first happened, like in the nineties, they were they were all about it being them being elementals. They were trying to bring in different elements instead of colors. It was it was you know, he was a plant elemental. Animal man was like a I don't even know, like a meat elemental. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, the red. It's yeah, it, they call it something of limbs, like the ah. Forget it. I can look it up. But it's yeah. It, it's yeah. a great brutal like hardcore metal name for it.
1: Yeah. Well, and like even like uh, Neil Gaiman got into it. He did like a one shot for uh, uh, uh something the geek. I can't remember the character's name. Just remember it being the geek, and he was a doll elemental. It's like that's not even an element. Just like pulling out no, out of nowhere. Just it's a doll elemental.
0: That sounds very like, Gaiman-esque, though. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, definitely. He's definitely. He's married to a doll. So there you go. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh oh, they they call it the Parliament of Limbs. what's so that's an amazing call. name. It's to I'm like God. That's this, an amazing name. This is why name. I love comic books too. You know, and there's also talk about like the great supercharged synapse, you know, and this weird traversing from as a kid to an adult and experience these things that hits the same points. You know what I mean? It's almost like time yeah. travel with content, like or with with brain patterns that we had when we were young. There's no need for a lot of the pomp and circumstance of like a lot of the, you know, heavier handed um occultnik works right when the yeah. same uh elements and the same punches are being thrown through these beautiful folkloric tales yeah and it's it seems
1: like a lot less work to me like I'm honestly amazed that there aren't more books like the Invisibles or Promethea where they're trying to make a like a definite magical work at comics it's all kind of done in a backhanded way usually
0: it's like yeah they do like it they're not and then they outright say, doing it yeah well yeah i've known some that are just like some kind of independent ones that they just i think wanted to be known more as a comic writer and put out a comic than yeah. actually wanted to write comic books you know what i mean there's a like yeah. what you're saying there's a lot of that backhanded way And what's more, you know, in vogue right now, in the mystique of the occult, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But like, it's very, yeah, it's, it's become such an aesthetic. And that's also something I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, modern comics and the occult. And yeah, you haven't seen any, I guess you answered that question. Yeah,
1: yeah i will say that i haven't read a lot of recent comics like i've fallen out of like comics like new comics a couple years nothing grabs me other than a couple here and there like silver surfer black at points i would consider that nearly a spiritual work but beyond that that, nothing's even grabbed me or was that yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Donny Case. I'm trying to remember the artist's name. It was The, the artist did uh, uh, the Luther Strode series.
0: Mm, yeah, it doesn't come to mind. But, like, yeah. I always think of my favorite, but this, again, like, we might be shifting more again, and this might be privy to why, you know, the occult is still used as an aesthetic, and when I say occult, most people think of astrology or tarot. You know, which to me, I mean, tarot a lot less obviously, but there's still planetary stuff in it. To me, that's more of the cosmic switch, right? Science, metaphysics, yeah, um, cosmic. And it seems like there's always this general push into the cosmic, you know, realm within you know, writing, especially in popular comics and whatever. So it's no surprise to me that although there are some. I mean, Hellstrom has a TV show out. Marvel is doing, yeah, a show in Hel- and it's based in Portland, Oregon. Funny enough, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. I just watched like oh, two the episodes. They changed a lot of the back end. Um,
1: yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not but, surprised.
0: You know, and that—that's. I think they're diving deep into. You know, they really want Ghostwriter to work. You know, they really want. <laughs> uh who else is coming i mean dr strange obviously is a big one but now he's he's here's he's merely going to be used as a tool to split the multiverse so that they can have toby Maguire and you know andrew garfield in a movie like it's like the occult yeah oh definitely definitely
1: they're they're yeah they're 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 trying way too hard with that now and it's but, like, if you look at Doctor Strange and, like, all of those, they're trying, they're even trying to, like, kind of explain everything through science over mysticism. Yeah. Like, in the Marvel movies, they're trying to explain it away.
0: <laughs> well, wasn't that, that terrible, like, abridged version of that Asimov quote in the Thor movie? Which is that, you know, the magic is just the, it's just science you don't understand. Yeah. Or, yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly,
0: which I guess is fair, but you know that's I don't think that's the point of it. I don't think the point is to understand I think the the point is to experience, and I think that's right. that's that's where the the shit like curbs, you know that's where the river changes for me when it comes to that. There can be both and they can be parallel, but I think one is more of an emotional resolve. And an emotional, experiential kind of idea that is personal to, you know, the many different facets uh, or variables of uh, human life. Whereas the other one is a tried yeah. and true, tested, mother approved, you know, kicks commercial.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, that's really what comics embrace. And that, that's kind of what most people see. Um, is the, other approved kicks version of comics mm-hmm. where you have to dig pretty deep to not get that.
0: Well, there's, you know, and I feel like a lot of the writers to that British invasion, they're still haunted. Um, I not sure if Peter Milligan actually practiced. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he did, but I, you know, yeah. couldn't find anything explicitly saying he did. Jamie Delano. Yeah. I, I haven't found anything that says he explicitly has, although, you know, Jamie Delano is, uh, where is it? Uh, He's in the first... He's in the first Rituals and Declarations. Oh, this one, I believe. Uh, Which is a new kind of occult magazine that came out. And that's kind of what re uh, it's, I think he's in the first one or the second one. The first one. Yeah, it's going to be the first one. They kind of melt together. They're great magazines. Um, totally brilliant stuff. Oh no, he's in the second one. Excuse me. Uh, rituals and declarations, small press, uh, independent British, uh, UK publisher, uh great short stories little essays poems art all having to do within the metaphysical realm and i get it you know as a fan being a being a fan of small press and being a fan of of you know all of the above and i get the second one and realize that hey jamie delano i haven't seen him and in, in a while what the hell has he been up to you know and He's a comic writer that I hold very dear. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. A little, little on Mike Burp, but uh, I hold him very dear because <laughs> he, uh, at a really dark time in my life, when I went to the hospital, I won't get into specifics, but all I had on me was a copy of Hellblazer's Original Sins. And like when uh. I first kind of came to and started feeling better that's the only thing i had to kind of take me away from the you know the terrible you know white-walled abyss that is a hospital and yeah i hold him to me is the definitive hellblazer or constantine writer uh I love... Milligan's done work on it. And then here's the other fascinating thing, especially Mm -hmm. with all the occult British invasion people. They all work on the same titles. Like, they weave in and out. Oh, yeah. Delano's done Animal Man, I'm pretty sure. Milligan, I think, has too. And, you know, they all have done Constantine, or Constantine, as I'm told. It's actually pronounced, but fuck (laughs) it, I'm American. Um, But they've, you know, they've all woven this web together, worked on a lot of the same titles, be it big as in Batman or small as in, you know, uh, Hellblazer. And so I always found that fascinating is that here's this crew of, you know, punk rock, some ceremonial magician, some chaos magician, you know, kids all kind of coming up together within the popular comics industry. And they all had to kind of tether with each other, the same annals of folklore within, you know, these modern kind of Greek myths. It's, oh yeah! yeah. It's a... Oh yeah!
1: It's it's like they all feel driven to hit those same marks too. Because yeah. I know, I know. Even Grant, even Grant Morrison has done Hellblazer stuff, and a right. couple issues of his that he's done are they're amazing, and they're definitely Grant Morrison comics. But uh, yeah, they, they all seem driven to write certain characters, though.
0: Isn't that funny? Yeah, they all kind of. Though I think the oddest one out for me, obviously, was Peter Milligan with Ecstatics, which I hold dear. Uh, yeah, you know, with Mike Allred. Uh, to me not very occulty i'm sure everything can be occulty if you make an argument for it and i think that's yeah. kind of where i'm coming to the conclusion of there was a part of me that wanted to define to define kind of what i meant by occult when it comes to comic books you know and not merely talk about doctor fate or you know doctor yeah Dr. Fate. Or, you know, these golden age, uh, funny book occult oh, characters, yeah, the, the occultists, but yeah. also, you know, it, it's not about using the aesthetic of the the occult, and I think there's a big conflation too, um, with the supernatural that the supernatural is occult, and I think that's fair, yeah, I think that that could be part of it, yeah. but to me, the occult means. Yet the writer actually put magical intent into the work and it shows on the page and it envelops you as such. Yeah. And it's funny that all these writers end up, yeah, playing with the same toolbox of characters. Yeah. Like, I wonder if these are archetypes I mean, they have to be for for an occultist. I mean, I think we're both working class. We're both like, you know, outsiders. Oh yeah. Of course, we're gonna gravitate to John Constantine. You know what I mean? Or of oh, course, yeah. we're gonna gravitate to Shade, the Changing Man. Being from Planet Meta, that yeah. kind of, you know, either he's a red-haired mod or he's a, uh, you know, a, an a, an obsessive, gangly sort like. No. Or The invisible shit, which was like the army of outsiderdom. That oh, was yeah, yeah. Like the reality bending, you know, uh, espionage thriller that is The Invisibles, which was this cast of outsiders that use occult techniques to overthrow reality and the conspiracy, you know? Yeah. So I think there's a reason why comic fans such as ourselves and and comic writers gravitate to those archetypes there's a reason why Peter Milligan and Alan Moore and Graham Morrison wrote Batman you know <laughs> like there's a yeah reason why Batman sings to us in a way and yeah whether it's like the well, sheer determination of will or just like the dark night of the soul full pun intended you know there's got to be something there
1: yeah, they're they're super powerful symbols. And I I hate that like right now, I would say that comic books are essentially like those characters have become advertising. And they've been kind of co-opted to just be advertisements to sell merch. Because that's like the ultimate drive of those 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 forms now is to sell merch. It's like it's like when Graham Morrison was talking about how commercials are sigils like the golden arches are a sigil right going now ahead. batman's become a sigil for warner brothers
0: now oh, warner well, brothers has taken
1: over that that dimble but oh let me see where i was going That's with true. that
0: yeah they reversed it's, it's, reverse the sigil warner brothers yeah
1: yeah they they reverse the
0: sigil like yeah
1: if it's it's kind of yeah it's it's, it's looking at a campbell soup can and it can either be a Campbell soup can, or it can be, oh shit, how did I forget his name?
0: And the Andy famous Orham? artist
1: who did the Campbell—that's you know, the one. Yeah. Let <laughs> Warhol turn the Campbell soup can into art, and it it transcended what it was. And I think we've lost that. Yeah. But back then, like a lot of these creators, they were hunting for what that like preternatural natural, like force was behind these symbols, do and that's th- what they were driven to try and work
0: with. Do you think that you know? Because obviously, as a comic nerd, I have ideas. Uh, if I was ever to ge- be given a title for somebody established, I'd do it, hell yeah, that you know what I mean. But do you think oh, that yeah. um, that's kind of what's killing the momentum of a lot of you know, young budding? comic creators is kind of this back-end notion that the only way to actually survive is if you work with the big three you know dc marvel image yeah you know i guess uh, yeah valiant but not really (laughs) yeah yeah they used to be like the fourth in the big big four big five
1: you know, but yeah, no, I think it I think it kills creativity. I think it's killing creativity in comic book people.
0: I mean Vertigo's yeah. dead, you know, this this imprint that changed our lives, yeah. you know, went out of business or not out of business, they canceled that whole thing. Yeah, they shut it down. It's, it's more to do with the comic industry as a whole and the fact that yeah, the public doesn't you have to utilize an archetype to get Weird ideas through, like those writers did, you know, like with yeah. Alan Moore with Swamp Thing or Grant Morrison with Animal Man or whatever. It's you kind of have to use these established things. I mean, Alan Moore took the old Charlton Comics shit, right, and used them for watching yeah. And I think that yeah, it's almost as if you have to work within the those confines to really ever push forward or the conversation. You know, which is, it's, yeah, ter- yeah. <laughs> it's it's terrible, but like, you know, 20
1: years ago, they let people do what they wanted with it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, whereas now they have to worry about, you know, they can't mess with the Incredible Hulk because he's going to show up in the next Avengers movie. And if the Incredible Hulk in the comic is too far away from the Incredible Hulk in the movie, they're not going to move, move fun books.
0: It's hilarious. But they're not going to move anyways, honestly. <laughs> well who was it that jason aaron did he have a doctor strange run it was pretty recent yeah he had, a, was, I think yeah, he had a pretty recent one yeah which was pretty good and i think that was around you know the parallel of the doctor strange movie coming out and so yeah. i think what's there's a wider uh thing to be said that you know comics put into the social consciousness the idea of the multiverse They put this idea in of these parallel universes acting parallel to us where like one decision in one was completely different from the other and everything was affected because of it. Right. And so now it's breaking into the movies like that's an occult concept. Yeah. That's the multiverse is an occult concept. Here it is. We have Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness as like a Marvel movie. It's gonna make at least a billion dollars coming out. We have a flash oh, yeah. movie that's in the works where it's gonna be like Flashpoint Paradox where he meets Michael Keaton's Batman, but within the- And Ben exact... Affleck's Batman. And Ben Affleck's, like, yeah. we, like, it's almost a way that, you know, we can thank the occult for doing this, but we're also, like, it's funny <laughs> that these have to be Happy Meal versions of ideas you know
1: yeah it's 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 tragic it's it's, in in a lot of ways it's really tragic because i i feel we're missing out on a lot by not letting people do what they want with this stuff
0: yeah you know well you know i would say that there's now more than ever especially within music and writing and you know within self-publishing there's more reason than ever just to do it yourself that's fine But I think there is this yearning that like you want to push these big ideas across and the occult has always been great with this as a magical praxis is that you use the Bible, you use, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, playing cards, you use, you know, pretty generalized quotients of a people to get through these very esoteric ideas, you know? And yeah. comics did that. They mirrored that. Now it's the movies. But comics never, even in their heyday in the 90s, never made a billion dollars a comic. <laughs> oh, God, know? no. Like,
1: God, no. So,
0: like, com- they were always doomed, you know? Yeah. And But, you, I mean, I that... Know- yeah, go ahead. That
1: also kind of makes them the perfect vehicle for the occult, though, because then they're not mainstream enough where everybody's getting these ideas. It's right. still occulted.
0: Well, I think, too, it's like a curation thing. I think as humans, yeah. we or as, as modern folks, I should say, not as humans, because this isn't true of any, every culture. <laughs> but we are we are predisposed to think that a brand denotes quality. We're predisposed to think yeah. that a certain avenue of creation denotes quality. And that's not the fucking case. It never has been the case. You know, we're yeah. just, we think that because it has, you know, a logo on it or a sigil, you know, whether it's the DC or the Marvel or the image or the Dark Horse, that people of higher note decided that this was good enough. So it must be good. Yeah. And to me, that's yeah, like it's... perfectly analogous. About the occult gatekeepers that we have in modern <laughs> times, you know. Oh, definitely. I say, fuck all that, burn them down, create your own. <laughs> hey, I'm kidding. I
1: I, I agree <laughs> with you on that actually, but. <laughs> but, yeah.
0: but yeah, we should be you know, we we should be free to love who we want to love. No, uh, i was gonna go into that. <laughs> but we. I think as, as fans and readers, like we're always excited to see someone take a left turn with an archetype and blow the one that came before it away. Like always. I felt that way about, you know, Zack Snyder's, uh, new 52 run of Batman. I was like, thank you for getting rid of that convoluted bullshit. You know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, continuity restarting it and then getting really deep into the kind of the history and the folklore of gotham itself i was like that's cool that hasn't really been yeah. done that's fun so yeah but again a tiny needle move because that was kind of the thesis for his entire run that they were like oh that's different let's do that it wasn't like the yeah. batman of arzer kerr or whatever you know Grant Morrison's uh <laughs> interpretation which oh, his was run in on popular Batman comics was. that was popular yeah. comics you a, a, Yeah, that he a he got so broken
1: that he had a backup yeah. personality
0: <laughs> his backup plan was a personality that created that would take over if he got broken and it was just this insane batman of multicolored horror
1: yeah wearing like yellow and purple
0: yeah. and yeah and like i'm yeah. reading this and i'm like i'm looking at the guy at the comic store next to me he's reading this looking at the you know the lady behind the counter at the comic store she's reading it and i'm like okay i get it like this is what we need we need these these ideas to be presented it just sucks that these ideas have to be presented within the mainstream like run of the big three or big four. Yeah, yeah. Because there because was I mean heyday.
1: Yeah, there there was definitely the heyday, but it's like it, at this point, like it's almost like eating McDonald's food, you know. Yeah, like it's it's. But just you don't you don't food. want
0: you don't want McDonald's to like come out with a bison burger. You're not gonna be yeah. like whoa. That sounds the great. Other, I'm gonna eat that. You know? Yeah,
1: but also if they did come out with a bison burger, eventually that bison burger would be the same horrible product that they that every other but product
0: is. <laughs> but in the end, that bison burger is just, you know, shit in a different bun. Like it's you know Yeah, now. exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's like that's, that's that's comics now. It's just a bunch of shit yeah. in different covers.
0: I don't want to turn this into <laughs> too, you know, uh yeah. Bagging comic too deep there. There, it's talking about yeah. how shitty comics are these days. Because that's it's it is true. It the comics, you know, it it can't be it can't be unsaid that comics are going through a steep and terrible decline, and as uh the medium moves into digital distribution, print comics yeah. are going to be sadly a a novelty. And yeah. I, say, I say sadly but not really because people like you you know who write these books who self-publish uh, things that I want to do with comics yeah we'll find ways we'll print them you know yeah. what I mean the whole industry doesn't need to to crumble for us to do that although it really does kind of separate the wheat and the chaff within you know who's yeah. really like able and willing to put their original ideas on the line rather than kind of tread the waters in the mainstream of other ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the difference between a cubicle farm and you know, <laughs> fashion farming essentially. Yeah. But it's it's yeah, I mean I I like the idea that things are melting down kind of. As much as I love comics, and I love... Because I, I mean, I, I still madly love all these characters. Because I, I know, know what they know. can be. But I also understand that they need to die. Like, yeah. all this stuff eventually needs to die. Because everything
0: dies. Well, and... it's, it's insane to me. It's like a an, an analogous thing for me was like... You think about the movie industry, Right? You have someone like Darren Aronofsky who was gonna make a Batman mm-hmm. movie. And the Batman, he was like a working class. Alfred was like a mechanic. He, he yeah. wore a, a bat ring that he imprinted on people's foreheads, <laughs> you know, like stitched up his own uniform. I'm like, that's the shit we need with these big things. And yeah. don't come at me with the Joker thing. That was pretty much the same shit. Like, yeah. it just, it made, you know, it took a killing joke, but just made him, you know, even more um, relatable because our world is fucked and people with mental illnesses like myself are having a hard time with it.
1: We get. Yeah. It. And honestly, though, you could have just called that movie clown.
0: Clown. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying, like, in the, in the, it's this, it's become, comic books have become this industry the same as hollywood where you have these uh, auteur filmmakers coming up and being like you know i've got something that no one's ever done and we're going to treat these characters like Jungian archetypes and we're gonna like break them to the like just the foundational centers of you know who they are as an idea and all the aesthetics and stuff will be different and they're like no we need to go with another A-list actor and another kind of neo interpretation of a noir, you know what I mean? Which I'm I'm welcoming. The new Batman looks fine or whatever. But to me, it's just not far enough. It's just not far enough. And I think that's the beauty of where these writers, you know, were experimenting with occult ideas and stuff. Like they were really able to tap into shit that literally knocked me on my ass uh all 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 of the great comics from that era just like floored me like absolutely it still has my mind spinning are you still there <laughs> there you are can't hear you Nope. Oh, i think your mic's out Hello? There you are.
1: Is it too loud now?
0: No, you're great. Um, I can right. ramble on and on, but let's uh, throw <laughs> me some more before you have to go. Throw me some more uh, uh-huh. interpretations of you know that confluence, that Riverbend. Um,
1: like one of my
0: I'm going to go with one I didn't even
1: mention earlier because we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier and I was looking at my shelf right before i came out here and i was looking at the books by uh hans reekite and his books are like nightmares come like spread on a page and i don't know what level that guy is working on because he also he's a musician he's a musician he's an artist he's a writer and his stuff is this I keep saying transcendent, but it's a transcendent, like, dream logic that really you can only find if you're really working deep inside your own head and you're really trying to find, like, things that nobody else is going to find, because, like, like, we were talking about, like, you, you wanted to define, like, what occult comics are. I Like, for me, I would consider a comic occult a if it's mind-opening in a certain way. Yeah like if you look at it and you can feel like the doors yeah you're getting hit in the head and it's places that you wouldn't normally go and hans hans Rickheit's comics like any of them they have great names too like a collection of short works it was called folly and the cover is this this strange salvador dolly bunny like crossing this like junkyard But his best, his best book is called Squirrel Machine. And it's this 200 page graphic novel where somebody is taking like living things and making it into this gigantic machine. Like this interconnected like Rube Goldberg, Rube Goldberg machine tied together by like sinew and muscle and guts.
0: What's he building in there?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And like anything that Hans Dreckheit Hans puts out I would I would firmly put into what I would consider an occult kind of headspace for comics something that is truly like above and beyond as far as comics go if you're looking for things that are going to really work you over
0: i'm going to get these links from you uh you know by okay. the, by the end of you know whatever but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, because I would love to check that out myself. I'm sure everybody else would. Yeah. Nothing to me screams uh, more revolting than like industrial sinew.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, what actually, we
0: are made of. Yeah.
1: yeah. And talking about that actually makes me think of uh, Jim Woodring. If you've ever oh, heard yeah. of Jim Woodring yeah his stuff like i know he's actually done some of the more woo stuff and like he like he's got some weird like mental issues that came from way earlier in his life like not mental health issues as much as like uh, that's part of it but he really he embraces a lot of the woo or he did back when he's making comics and now it just comes out in these like these weird tableaus that he puts, these like surrealist tableaus with a cartoon cat and a character called Manhog, who's a man pig.
0: <laughs>
1: and it's just and these like weird, weird plants, like the world is this living metaphor that he's constantly wandering. I love That's, it that definitely.
0: I uh it just came to mind I was thinking about. We were talking about, you know, this the creations that we make and it coming to life. You know, have you illustrated anything that is even in metaphorical sense, like has has it become the sinew of an idea that actually got some bones to it? Um,
1: you know, like something that I like I made and it kind of like made some changes in real life?
0: I guess there's that. I'm talking more of like, have you ever created something and seen it in passing on the street?
1: No. No, I haven't. Yeah. I I kinda wish I could. Like there are definitely some things that I I kind of wish would actually kind of
0: find (laughs) its way in my peripheral, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, there's that too. I would love to find a bag of money on the side of the road. Especially one that just said for Eric for all of your work. (laughs)
0: exactly good job buddy also your dad is proud yeah 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 (laughs) oh uh no i was i was i i was uh, meaning to ask you that because there's uh an article that came out uh, a couple maybe a year or two ago maybe recently um from vulture talking about john constantine (laughs) constantine Uh, and the creators i found this quote uh from a multitude of creators saying how they have he's actually come into their lives like as a passing apparition.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh and like even like Grant Morrison, he had Superman. He he talked to Superman.
0: That's right. We also talked to aliens and Catman and he uh that, you yeah. know that's another thing we should talk about, you know, is uh Grant Morrison this kind of chaos magic slash method acting of getting into a yeah. character, you know, and him conversing like in The Invisibles, you know, the Beatles are in the beginning and stuff when he's talking about how he even with, he did this with Kirk Cobain too, where, you know, there'll be a piece of art and he'll play a copy of John Lennon or Kurt Cobain's guitar In Kirk Cobain's case, he wore big glasses and a feather boa and like you know, reach this transcendental state where he was he was living them, you know? Yeah, it's it's that kind of supreme method acting, too. And I wonder as a writer, Mm -hmm. sometimes if that's even necessary. I don't know if uh, Grant Morrison ever wrote about Kurt Cobain. I'm not entirely sure or used him like as a major character in a story. I don't think so. Yeah, I can't think of it. But he, he he, would do this thing and, you know, talk to gods. He would, you know, call them gods. Yeah. He would put these things on, do these rituals. And really, by rituals, I mean very much a method acting like Lee Strasberg studio, you know, acting of, you know, like living the character. And, yeah. you know. To me, that's like that's that slap back echo. That's that reverb of of the occult or of like uh, especially in using uh, these experiences and these like these rituals to get into the mind of something, you know, and how right. it could be detrimental. I mean, do you really want to invoke Kurt Cobain? <laughs> like, into yeah, you'd mind? think that that would be like kind of
1: the last things you would want to invoke.
0: I'm a, you know, a childhood fan of Kurt Cobain and everything. And I've spent a lot of my life realizing that, like, I need to be less like Kurt Cobain, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the whole point. But, like, the, Yeah, he's more uh, of a warning like, than a role model. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I don't think he was either. I think, you know, he just he has become so human over the years. It's like, it's a wonder to me that anyone deifies anyone. Like to be completely, honest. I don't understand it. I don't understand. I don't understand anybody it. Anybody puts other people on pedestals like that. Like we're all, yeah, just so beautifully like corrupt and weird and non-linear. Yeah. You know, like there's any idea you have of somebody is just a mere fraction of who they truly are, yeah. and to deify that fraction is just insane and it comes back to that, you know why i was bringing this up with meeting creations that you create like you're creating a fraction of this of of this character like even as a writer Mm uh coming up with the character i couldn't tell you you know the dental records i couldn't tell you you know um if he his butt was slapped when he was born you know what i mean like i i don't know those yeah. specifics we're like only allowed in in kind of a a hollow but obtuse viewpoint of yeah. what this person is and i was thinking about that and then uh, remembered this this article that came out about John Constantine and every writer's interaction with constantine was that was a fragment it was like a fraction yeah. of an idea it wasn't going and getting shit faced with him you know at the pub and listening yeah. to a mucous membrane whatever on on vinyl you know yeah like it wasn't that yeah it it's just like a brief a, glimpse it's a brief glimpse and here i'll read this uh this uh quote uh, and this goes back to jamie delano it starts uh too so uh-huh. <clears throat> this is about john constantine Jimmy delano ran into him during a stroll near the british museum back when he was writing the first few arcs on constantine's solo series hellblazer the figure caught my eye and cocked his head flicked the ash from a Siggy, and continued without stopping delano told me for a few moments i considered following but thought better of it i mean what the fuck would i say and what trouble might <laughs> one get into Peter Milligan saw Constantine at a party around 2009 and rushed after him, only to find he disappeared. So I think Peter Milligan's like the only one that actually chased after him, but. Brian Azzarello, 100 Bullets, Brian Azzarello, (laughs) saw him at a Chicago bar in the early aughts, but avoided him. This is my favorite. (laughs) The thing is about John is the last thing you'd want is to be his friend, he told me. Yeah as far as i've been able to deduce constantine's only ever spoken to one writer the man who created him alan moore according to moore he ran into john after year, uh, years after he'd stopped writing him and the wisecracking mage whispered 13 words to him i'll tell you the ultimate secret of magic any cunt can do it
1: yeah that is, that is the best
0: quote. <laughs> oh, man. Best it's quote. Never been said better. Any cunt can do it. And yeah. there goes the demonetization uh, uh, on this YouTube live stream. Yeah. <laughs> well, how much more time do you have? Oh, did you stall? I think you're all over the place uh chat thank you guys so much for hanging out this is only going to be part one of our uh, comics conversation i need to figure out a different way to title these because comics in the occult" is such a loaded and absolutely generic title yeah oh, is eric back can you hear me you're good me i can hear there you, you. can you hear me yeah there you are all right but I'm I'm guessing that you have to get home. Yeah, I gotta get back inside. It's almost Orion's bath time. So yeah, as as I was telling the chat, I knew that we wouldn't touch on eighty percent of the things that we had oh, planned. Yeah. Uh so let's Yeah, even the stuff we talked to... about earlier. Yeah. We had yeah. conversed earlier, Eric and I, and we're like, Oh, we want to talk yeah. about this, talk about that. But yeah, you know, didn't even
1: didn't even touch eighty percent of it
0: yeah this is the beauty of liminal streams <laughs> so i'm going to retitle this as comics in the occult part one eric i'll have you back for part two we'll dig deeper and we'll just keep going because this oh, is a definitely. confluence that we keep waiting in so yeah
1: we uh we have any questions <laughs> yeah.
0: also please check out the bottomless bag which is on org. Eric posts a new component of his Bibliomantic Oracle every Monday. Uh, And if you haven't yet, check out the Disruption Generator. The Disruption Generator is a Bibliomantic Oracle. Eric Millar divined last year, I think it was, and did it by posting a he would use a word generator and then illustrate that word and post it on We the Hallowed every day for one hundred and eighty something crazy. 120 120 120, 120 i should know this by now yep. and you can get it on book form on the amazon <laughs> it's through we the hallowed and i use it every day you'll see it as the album or the album the episode art uh for all of the prag magic episodes uh eric millar dear friend thank you sir i uh, appreciate you uh hanging out oh, your car you. with us yeah <laughs> oh
1: yeah oh, yeah. anytime man anytime
0: we'll get you on uh in a couple weeks and we'll do part two for sure
1: oh yeah definitely for sure for sure
0: all right man we'll talk to you soon yeah talk to you later all right folks that was eric millar thank you for tuning in sorry about some of the audio issues um i'll have it worked out but this is number two the liminal stream i'd like to announce that for next monday kind of a special surprise going to be talking about modern occult cinema with thomas sheridan on this liminal stream so hopefully we'll get like an earlier time so it works with him but he'll be here to uh talk to me about a lot of this uh hoopla concerning the aesthetics of the occult within modern horror cinema and it should be fun i loved his reviews on hereditary and i think ari aster gets a little too much accolade considering that he's still kind of buying into the christian scare tactic that the occult is scary it is not it's whatever you want it to be and with that i want to thank everyone on patreon if you're a patreon supporter you got a full unreleased demo um and i was going to show eric this i'll close on it uh this is in in work progress eric millar he'll just have to catch it on the stream later hopefully but <laughs> this is in in the work progress for the We the hallowed sigil that has been long in the works Eric Millar, Millar, and I collabed. I kill me if I ever say collabed again. We collaborated on this song for the With the Hallowed Sigil. And after that, I'm gonna end the stream. Uh, thanks to everyone in chat: Oswald Spangler, John Aside, Michelle Embry, Philip Blair. Uh, thank you guys so much. Of course, Miss Mary McKeever. Um. Yeah, and I'm going to end now with just a a short snippet of a taste of what the audio sigil from Where the Hell is going to come out to be. And with that, I love you guys. And haunt on.